0: You're listening to a sermon from Bent Tree Church in Loveland, Colorado. For more information about Bent Tree, visit bentreechurch.com. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Bent Tree Church. It's good to see you guys here. Well, the cool looking kids all have the blue shirts. I'm just saying. They gave me one because, well, I'm the boss. So, uh, And it has something on it, but I don't see anything uh, on it. Uh, it's snow mountain ranch uh, pastor Hal. thank you for leaving that the the volunteers people that gave uh, uh, so uh, kids that could go that didn't have uh, you know maybe all the resources uh, good job on that guys and uh, this is what the church does like this is the this is the everyday walk of faith we raise that next generation we pour into them so praise god for that as we get going let's Uh, Let's open our Bibles to John chapter 5. By the way, if you're new, my name is Paul Trimble. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, We're continuing in our series where we're working our way through the entire book of John, the Gospel of John, and we have a lot to cover today, so let's go ahead and get started. If you're able, would you stand with me and just in reverence as I'll read our text from the Bible for today, and you listen Carefully, Starting in verse 15 through verse 24 of John 5. The man went and reported to the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Therefore the Jews began persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Jesus responded to them, my father is still working and I am working also. This is why the Jews began trying all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, the son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son likewise does these things, for the father loves the son. And shows him everything he is doing. And he will show him greater works than these so that you will be amazed. And just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so the son also gives life to whom he wants. The father, in fact, judges no one. But has given all judgment to the Son, so that all people may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Anyone who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come to you in the matchless name of our Savior and Lord Jesus. God, we come to you. Uh, You have been so good to us. You've given us everything that we need in this life. I mean, you've given us life itself, uh, the air in our lungs, uh, the food to eat, a place to live. God, this, this church that we call family, and God, we thank you for all of that, all of All of the physical blessings you provide for us. But God, we just want to thank you for your words contained in the Bible as we study today. God, that's life to us. So would you make yourself known to us as we read it. Fill us with your spirit to overflowing. May we not just know about you, but that we may know you in an intimate and personal way. In a relationship. Our time is yours, God, as we study in the name of Jesus Christ. We all prayed and said, you may have a seat. You may have a seat. Well, let's gain some perspective as we read the passage from verse 15 through 24. We do that to give us, look, this is the picture. Now, we're studying really one version here, but I want to remind you of what we're doing. Jesus is speaking to this large group of people, uh, really probably thousands, and the largest group is simply the local people that have come out because they, they've heard all the hubbub about this guy that preaches with authority, that raises, uh, people up from, that have laid there for 38 years. He gives them, uh, healing. He teaches like no other, and they've just, they've just come to see this guy, to hear him, and, Then you've got the second group that's pretty large, the group of 12 disciples, but then there's this entourage, right, that follow him from town to town. And they've gone, man, this must be the Christ. But then the smallest group is this group of religious leaders that have decided, we've got to take this guy out. He's getting too much power. They're actively looking for a chance to catch him in his words, to stir up the crowd so they stone him. Literally, they want to get the people to pick up rocks and throw them at him until he's dead. Now this was the common way to stone a heretic or kill a heretic. These guys are so upset because Jesus has just challenged their authority for one by teaching on the Sabbath. And he had healed this lame man and done it on that Sabbath day. And then he commanded the guy to walk carrying his mat. And so they confronted him. And instead of backing off, Jesus then just doubles down on claiming to be the son of God. And Jesus begins this section of scripture that we're in today and in the next few times together. Because it is this section that Jesus then starts to reveal for the first time to the people listening. And really to us in this book who he truly is. Like the depth. Now, if you missed any of the weeks, go back and listen to them anywhere you get podcasts or on YouTube because you want to see what Jesus is doing. He's building his case that he is the Son of God. Now, in this section of Scripture that we're identifying four or five key things that Jesus claims about himself, and here it is. Let's review these just for a second. Jesus claims to be equal with God the Father in his essence or being. Now, this is a huge claim to make. And this probably just ticks these guys off right away because Jesus begins with, he's saying, look, in the Trinity of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they all share that same divine nature, power, they're the exact same imprint, and yet they function in different roles and capacities to each other. And Jesus is saying that he is the Son of God, part of this Godhead. So that brings up the second, Jesus claims to be equal with God the Father in his works, in his ability. If he hears from the Father, go do this, he carries that out and whatever the Father's will is. And that means that Jesus has the ability to carry out what he's called to do. And therefore the same ability as God the Father. Now this is another huge claim, by the way. I just picture these religious leaders like a teapot you know, on the stove and their ears are starting to have steam coming out. Just boop, you know, and it's, they're upset. Then he drops the bomb on them though. You remember this week is Jesus claims to be equal with God the Father in his power and sovereignty. That's what a king has, is his power and his sovereignty. These religious leaders are thinking, now you've done it, Jesus. Now you've done it. You're really going to claim to have the exact same power and then the same sovereignty as God the Father? But then last week we said that sovereignty must be backed up with this one. It's got to be backed up with this one. And that is Jesus claims to be equal with God the Father in his judgment. And that's where we're at. His judgment. Now this is where we left off. We split the judgment into two weeks so that we might get a better understanding of what Jesus is really talking about. Jesus is claiming this. Now write this down. This is kind of long, but write it down. All people throughout time will face judgment in front of the ultimate judge, Jesus Christ. All people throughout time will face judgment in front of the ultimate judge, Jesus Christ. Do you see why Jesus, in his claim this in John 5, why it's so big? I mean, think about it. Jesus is claiming that all people who have ever lived will face him specifically as judge on the last day. That's a big claim. Including these guys he's talking about. No matter if you're Christian or you're non-Christian christian Listen, because for me, this sends shivers down my spine. I think it should, for you too. I say that because this is good news and bad news here. The good news, we looked at last week, the good news is that for those that are saved, those who are in Christ Jesus when they die or when Jesus returns on that last day, they don't face the same kind of judgment whether or not they will go to heaven or hell. They don't face that judgment. In other words, the judgment before Christ Jesus for Christians does not determine salvation, which is by faith alone through Christ alone. Amen? We spent the bulk of our time last week looking at what we call the judgment seat of Christ. Do you remember that? Some call it the Bema seat, like B-E-M-A, the Greek word. So why should this Send shivers down the spines of believers in Christ Jesus. I mean, I'm talking true believers, not the fakers. Well, this is why this judgment by Christ Jesus as our judge is the time that elect believers, I'm using the scriptural term there, must give an account of their lives and service to Jesus Christ. They'll lock eyes with Jesus one on one. Tell me what you did with your life. Now, he knows. But he's talking to us specifically. It's not a a mass deal. It's us talking Jesus on -on one-on-one. Now look, what we learned is our salvation is not at risk. Because true Christians that face Jesus have already been found righteous because of what Jesus has done on the cross for them. Their sins have been forgiven And then they have been given the righteousness of Jesus Christ. In other words, they get credit for the life Jesus lived. Now the judgment seat of Christ, instead of being a judgment of heaven or hell, is rather a judgment of reward for believers based on what they produced as fruit in their life. Do you remember us talking about this? Or what the Apostle Paul calls a test of fire. Where the results of our lives work as believers. They, the works either survive the fire or not. And Paul calls the works that survive the fire. He, he, he likens them to gold, silver, or precious stones. The good works that God has prepared for us to, in advance to do. These good things will last if we follow God. Now, or the judgment that Christians face. We'll burn up the stuff that we did that didn't, didn't last. He likens that to wood, hay, or straw. I think of like tissue paper, right? Just burns really fast. There's nothing left of it. In other words, things that we produced in our life that didn't mean much in eternity. Or let's be honest, it didn't mean anything. But I want you to know, Christians don't lose their salvation. It's just that if all the works of the life are burned up, the Apostle Paul describes it as someone like running out of a burning house and everything burned down. They survived, but nothing of theirs lasted into the next life. That first judgment is easy to talk about because it can be a motivator to make your life as a believer count. But it's a much darker, much scarier judgment that we need to look at today. By the way, not many preachers in my life have preached on this. You always hear uh, guys go, oh, that guy preaches fire and brimstone. Hell, fire and brimstone. I go, I can count on my left hand how many times I've heard a message outside of myself. Three times in my entire life. And listen, there are very few weeks in my life that I've ever missed church. Not many preachers preach on this, but I'm thankful for the ones that I have heard on this. Because it's Jesus who is claiming that if you don't follow him as Savior, you will face him as judge. I want you to understand that this judgment is not for those who have been saved and believe in Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. Scripture is replete with saying that God is the judge of all the earth, isn't it? In other words, he has a right to judge. Now let's consider just a few passages. Now listen to this. This is from 1 Samuel chapter 2 verse 10, the Old Testament. Those who oppose the Lord, that's Yahweh, when you see capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh, the covenant name for God, those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. He will be, he will thunder in the heavens against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. In other words, to the ends of the earth. He will give power to his king. Look at this, talking about Jesus. He will lift up the horn of his anointed. Now, as Jesus is standing in John 5, talking to these three groups of people, especially these religious leaders, they know the scriptures by heart. Quite literally, they have memorized them. For instance, they know this. Psalm 82, 8. Rise up, God, judge the earth, for all the nations belong to you. They know one that sounds almost exactly the same, Psalm 94 two: Rise up, judge of the earth, repay the proud for what they deserve. Do you hear what these psalms are calling for? Justice to be paid. They're asking God, bring your justice. They're calling for justice to be done on the earth. Like, get up, God, get off your throne, stand up and deliver justice. Now, this verse, along with several others, use this picture of rise up. It's a picture of God seating, seated and asking him to stand up, to take action as king. Now, here is the second kind of judgment that will deliver justice. I'm talking true justice. Hang with me. At the cross, Jesus paid a blood sacrifice as a payment or what we call a propitiation to God the Father for the sins of all those who would believe in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen? Jesus had paid the price of justice for believers, the price we owed. So get this, the price of justice was born on the back of Jesus, or we could say the penalty for sin. Jesus took our penalty of those that would believe, but what we have to understand is that justice was paid out perfectly. The sins were wiped off for those that would believe. Jesus paid that price. Now you hear me talking about justification happening for those who have been born again. Remember, the word justification is a legal term, meaning the guilty party has been declared not guilty, not because of what they have done, but because of what Jesus has done, taking the penalty of their sin on his back. It was laid upon Jesus. Justice is delivered to Jesus on our behalf. And Jesus also places the credit for his sinless, perfect, righteous life into the account of the believers. However, for those that reject Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, let's read from Revelation. The revelation of Jesus Christ to the Apostle John, we simply refer to it, it's the last book of the Bible, as Revelation. By the way, not revelations, like S on the end, that'll drive a pastor nuts, so it's Revelation. Okay. talk about sobering, like make you gulp. Listen closely because this is a real event that is in the future, event for those that are not in Christ Jesus, a literal event for those who have not been saved when this happens. The Apostle John describes what he sees in Revelation 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, underlying great white throne, and one seated on it. Earth and heaven fled from his presence, and no place was found for them. I also saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Underline, books were open. And another book, underline that too. There's two separate things here, was opened. Which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works. By what was written in the books, plural. Then the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and the dead in Hades gave up the dead that were in them. Each one was judged according to their works. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. If you were here for the verse-by-verse study preaching through the book of Revelation a few years ago, you heard me preach through this in depth. I think we took like six weeks or something to go through this. But let's just remind ourselves of the major points here of this judgment we read in Revelation 20. The final judgment that will take place at the end of time will be called this. The Great White Throne Judgment is the final judgment prior to the lost being cast into the lake of fire. Write it down. I'll give you a moment. The great white throne judgment is the final judgment prior to the lost being cast into the lake of fire. Now this lake of fire described here, we refer to it shorthand as what? Hell. A G double hockey sticks, right? Hell. Now, we'll we'll cover hell another time in greater detail uh, with the doctrine itself. Like, what is it? How did it come to be? But a couple of things that you need to know about it for what Jesus is talking about in John 5 as being the judge. First, Hell was not created originally for mankind. It was created for the fallen angels, specifically the devil, Satan, or his angelic name, Lucifer, and all those angels that followed him. Second, it is a real place that Scripture is very clear on. Third, this may surprise you no one is in hell at present. Not Satan, not anyone else. It's vacant. There are many, there are many in what is a place called Hades, you saw earlier, or the place of the dead. And that is a place of real torment, hell-like, but hell-light. It is not their final destination. It's like a holding cell. Bible clearly describes this. By the way, this is not a place called purgatory that the Roman Catholic Church invented. There's no place in Scripture that's like that. That's completely made up. By the way, I, I get questions from Christians all the time. They say, Paul, um, is hell a real place? Or is it like a state of mind? No, it's a real place. Most people easily believe in heaven. But they struggle with believing in of a place of eternal punishment, the lake of fire. So I like to point out, look, your argument is really not with me. It's just with scripture. And specifically, the one who talks about hell more than any other is Jesus. Isn't that interesting? Jesus did. So your argument's with Jesus if you don't believe in hell, not me. If God is perfectly just and we think he is. Hell makes sense doesn't it? Because this is where perfect justice is delivered. Again we'll preach more on this in another time. When we come to it. in John. But but remember this great white throne judgment. That Jesus claims to be sitting on as the judge. Is about delivering justice. Every sin of those who rev- reviewed and considered is weighed, every sin. Now you've probably realized this already. Notice similar to the other judgment we spent so much time on last week and we reviewed this week, the the judgment seat of Christ that Jesus will sit on and Christians will face, this isn't a case of determining guilt or innocence. This second judgment, the great white throne. In the first judgment, we looked at the fact that Innocence had already been decided for Christians when the person believed in Jesus as Savior and Lord. When they were born again. Now we can talk about this another time. You could say, well, even before time began, you could say that. But when we were born again, when we were regenerated. And similar to the very first judgment that we talked about, the second judgment is also not to establish innocence or guilt. The guilt of the unbelievers, it's all been already been established. Because remember what Jesus told us in John 3, starting in verse 18. Jesus says, and anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is what? Already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. Before we believe in faith, before we are waken. From the dead, by the Holy Spirit, before we uh, are Christians and believe Jesus, on Jesus as our Savior and Lord, we come into this world condemned because we are born into a sinful world. So at the second, last judgment, we call the great white throne judgment that we're examining today, all the dead who are not saved and and then, not in Christ Jesus are standing in front of the throne. I'm talking billions, billions. All the dead throughout time who are not believers in Jesus. There are no Christians here. Let's jump back to Revelation 20 now. Look at verse 12. Uh, well, you look at it in your lap. Verse 12 says, Books were opened. Do you see that? As in plural, many books are open. Whatever those books are, what they represent. In Revelation, given to the Apostle John here, is some kind of recording device that's shown as a book here. I think that's for us, to show what everyone has ever done. Notice, this is like the other judgment also, in that each person will stand before Jesus as a judge. This is not some mass sentencing, it is face-to-face with Jesus as judge. So Jesus has all the facts. He knows every thought. Jesus knows every action. Get this, kind of blows my mind. He knows every inaction when you were supposed to take the action. Every sin, every moment of a person's life. There's nothing hidden from Christ Jesus. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? Every life is examined by him personally. Again, not to determine innocence, but to determine punishment. Got a different view of Jesus now? Then another book, look in Revelation 20 there. Another book, as in singular book, is open. It is described as a book of life. That's opened also. If you are a believer in Christ Jesus, your name is already written here in this book right now. But if you're standing in this second judgment facing Jesus as judge, he looks in this singular book of life to see if your name is written. It's like saying, see, your name is not written here. It should be here. It's not here. And if it is not, then don't miss the significance here. In verse 12 it says, the dead were judged according to what? To their works by what was written in the books. Plural. In other words, they are being judged by Jesus one-on-one for the lives they lived. Now, take a pause here and let me point out something. Well, I find it very interesting. Remember in the judgment we studied last week, that first judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, of believers, they are judged for their reward. Do you remember that? Not for salvation, for their reward. Their lives were judged on what they produced that Lasted. Now, in this final great white throne judgment, the unbelievers are also judged, but not for reward, but the level of punishment. Do you see the dichotomy between those two? I found that incredibly interesting. Those that are in Christ Jesus are saved, given different levels of reward based on the works that they produced that lasted through the fire. And those that have rejected Christ's offer of salvation, they face different levels of punishment based on their sin. Have you ever heard that saying when you talk about someone particularly evil in history, say like Hitler? That saying that says, there's a special place in hell for a guy like that. You ever heard that? It's a very true statement in the sense hell and its punishment won't be equal. But it will deliver perfect justice down to the very sin. Now, we alluded to this earlier, but I want us to think about this for a moment. When we say the doctrinal truth that Jesus was both truly God and at the same time, he's truly man. One of the many reasons that this is so, so very important to understand is that Jesus, as he claims in John 5, to be the only judge mankind will ever face. It is specifically that Jesus is God that he could judge for eternity. He can judge with perfect knowledge and wisdom as God he could judge perfectly. You with me? And we have established that as God, Jesus has the right to and the authority to judge as God at the very same time because he is truly man and that he faced all that we face with temptation but without sin. Jesus is therefore qualified to judge mankind as well because he is one. You see, when Jesus. Judges, believers in the first judgment we studied. If he had not been truly a man, he could not have died because God cannot die. But as a man, he did face judgment, didn't he? He died on the cross. For the sins of the elect. Look, he took our sins on his back, on the cross. He suffered what we were supposed to suffer because he was a man. He felt it. He endured it. He died. He suffered. He died a physical death. Now, Jesus was able to take our sin to become sin specifically because he was a sinless man. But think about this second judgment now. Why is Jesus so perfectly suited and fit to be the judge for all those who have rejected him? Same reason. Because he became a man. He suffered. He died and offered to take their sin, but they rejected his offer. Now, this is important to understand that as Jesus was dying, he took on himself the sins of all the believers throughout time, even our future sins. What's interesting is when he died, all of our sins were future, weren't they? But he did not take on himself, listen to me, the sins of those that rejected him. This just shook you, didn't it? Think about it. Because if he had, their sins would have been forgiven already. And God would not punish someone who had their sins forgiven. Can I get an amen on that? A little awkwardness, a little awkward signs, because Scripture just kind of changed some of the doctrine that we might have held in our head. By the way, that is a false doctrine. Look at this. Look at this. False doctrine alert. I told him I wanted some kind of buzzer. False doctrine alert. Universalism. The false doctrine that Jesus' death paid for the sins of everyone throughout history and that in the end all will be saved. Wrong. Universalism, that false doctrine that Jesus' death paid for the sins of everyone throughout history and that in the end all will be saved. That sounds nice, doesn't it? But it's wrong. It's not scripturally based. By the way, we'll come back to this more over time because it's this doctrine right here that tends to kind of, I don't know, kind of seep into good Christians' operating system. And when it does, it causes all kinds of other false doctrines to kind of start creeping up. But the worst thing that it does is it causes Christians to not share the gospel message. Because Christians, with this false doctrine, they begin to think, well, isn't Jesus going to save anybody uh, or everybody? So, so why bother sharing? Because it's just awkward, isn't it? Now check yourself for this false doctrine or some lesser version of it. Has it seeped into your life? When Jesus dies on the cross, he is paying for the sins of the elect. That's what the New Testament calls them. Those that would believe. Now, remember, this is from Jesus when he says in Matthew 10, verse 32. Therefore, everyone who will acknowledge me before others, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. Don't assume that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. You go, is this Jesus talk? You, you stare down at that bracelet you have. A, what would Jesus do? Would Jesus say that? Oh, well, this is him. Take this verse out. Uh, it take, that verse takes out on a whole nother level of meaning when you're studying Jesus claiming to be the only judge that all men will ever face. Doesn't it? What I mean is that every wrong, every sin, every unjust thing that these guys have ever committed will be taken into account at this judgment as their sentence to hell. They owe a debt of sin And they will pay proportionately because they stood on their own own merits, on their own works to save them. And now they will pay. What may not be obvious in the other first judgment we talked about, Jesus' judgment of the Christians. Christians that went to heaven had also sinned in their earthly life too, didn't they? We've all sinned. So why weren't they found guilty? why aren't they being sentenced to hell? Two reasons. You know this. One reason is that their name was written in the book of life. They had been chosen by God, called to life or what Jesus called or said they were born again, literally translated born from above. By the way, when, when were their names written in the book of life? Have we seen that? The Bible clearly teaches over and over and over again before creation, before time began. Blows our minds. Now look at that second reason that Christians don't go to hell as punishment for their sins. Jesus took their sin on his back and nailed it to the cross. That's what we were just talking about That they were justified. They were declared innocent of their sin. Why are they not judged here? Because Jesus has paid the death they owe. In other words, their punishment, Christians would be, to punish Christians at that point would be unjust because their sin had already been punished through the death of Jesus. Now, third, they were given the righteousness of Jesus. Again, what we call imputed or inputted. He imputed his righteousness, imputed his righteousness. We were given the righteousness of Jesus and we didn't know it. We We weren't owed that, in other words. So not only were they sinless, Christians were made holy. I think if we're honest today, we would all agree that we, I mean all people everywhere throughout time, have this innate sense of justice built into us, don't we? we know what is right and wrong. We don't have to be taught that to take someone else's stuff is wrong. We call that stealing. You don't have to be taught that slitting someone's throat is wrong. Murder is wrong. Those are moral laws written on everyone's heart. Oh, we don't want justice for our own actions when we're guilty. That's for sure. I don't. But we do want justice for something unjust that someone else does. And we don't care who it is. Especially when sin and injustice are done to us personally, don't we? Earlier today, we read those Psalms calling for God to bring justice to the earth to judge the wicked. Do you remember that? It says, rise up. Come, judge the wicked. But then look at these passages that are talking about the final day of judgment. They're confirming that Jesus is coming to earth to bring judgment. Look at this, Psalm 96, verse 13. Before the Lord, for he is coming, for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and all the peoples with his faithfulness. This is... Prophesying about Jesus on that last day, coming to judge. Here's another one Psalm 98, verse 9. Before the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth, he will judge the world in world righteously and all the peoples fairly. He said, This is going to be fair. It's going to be perfect justice. So we have this longing on one hand for justice that I think that God gives us, right? We want justice to be paid. We know what right and wrong is. At least we think we know what's right. But then you also have these verses that promise Jesus is coming to judge. Now, with all you know about judgment now, you see what these religious leaders are going ape over? They're so upset with Jesus. You're going to judge me? I'm perfect. I've never sinned. Jesus is going, I know. I know everything. It's because Jesus is standing in front of these religious leaders and these people as as a physical man. But he's claiming to be the judge. God himself. He's claiming to be their judge personally. He says, you're going to stand in front of me. And because of what he has claimed earlier in John 5, Jesus will give the very exact same judgment as God the Father would. Okay, we talked about a ton of stuff here with judgment. But look, judgment is not the primary reason and purpose Jesus came to earth. Listen to me. Back in chapter 3, we read in verse 16 and 17, for God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Although Jesus is the final judge, that is not his primary purpose. What is Jesus' primary purpose when he came born of a virgin? To save the world. To believers that are not condemned on that final day of judgment, why is that? Because Christ Jesus has already paid their debt on the cross. His blood has purchased their freedom it didn't make salvation just possible listen to me it made it secure last week we looked at the first judgment or what we call the judgment seat of christ we saw that final judgment that christians will face right not for salvation, because Christians, when we are born again, have already passed from death to life. But Christians are judged according to the works that God gave them to do. That final judgment, Christians will be tested for those works that lasted, that survived the fire, right? I heard from many of you last week, some right after the service, some throughout the week, that that was a motivation that we was For you to live your life for Christ. To make it count. That motivation came from the Holy Spirit. From scripture, not from me. But from hearing and reading that there is a day that we, as Christians, will lock eyes with Jesus as the judge. And he says, what did you do with the gifts that I gave you? That should motivate us, right? And I believe that that is the Holy Spirit working in our lives to motivate you and me. But it's this second judgment, the one that we've examined today, and we'll look at more in the future, that I want you to think through as a Christian. Although you as believers will not face this judgment, you will not be there. You know people who will be unsaved. The non-believers. We talk about motivation In our lives, to make our lives count. Listen to me as Christians. Let this second judgment motivate you to share the gospel with people in your life. Your little world, your little part of it. Here's what I mean. The gospel message of who Jesus is and what he has done is the message that the Holy Spirit will use to wake the spiritually dead from their slumber. You have the gospel message in you. Christian, it is the functional message shared with you that saved you and brought you to life by the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean that you heard the gospel message and came to life spiritually. It wasn't the person that shared the message with you that saved you. It was the message with the power of the Holy Spirit calling you to life. Now you have this message of the gospel and the Holy Spirit living within you if you are a believer. Now listen to me. Listen closely. God has set up opportunities specifically for you to share the gospel with specifically that life-giving message with people in your world. I firmly believe that the Bible teaches that there are no accidents in who you meet and when you meet them and why you meet them. God ordains that stuff in order for Christians to share the message of life with those He is calling to life. So watch for the opportunity, then be ready. And listen, you don't have to be good at it. I want you to be good at it, but you don't have to be good at it. Just share the story of Jesus, you can share your testimony. It's the story of Jesus that will save them. Here's a sobering thought for Christians and one that I want you to take and think through. There are lost people that will face the second judgment that are headed to hell as we speak right now. And God is going to save them through your obedience and sharing the gospel message. Let me answer a question I get from good Christians, good folks that are solid in their belief. And this is a good one. They ask, hey, Pastor Paul, what does the Bible actually say about people who die that are not Christians? Like, they're not saved. Will they get another chance to change their mind after they're dead? The answer is no. According to the scriptures, and I've read and studied through the complete Bible in depth over and over Many, 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 many years I've read the Bible through, studied it. There is absolutely nowhere in Scripture that I see that someone can accept Jesus as their Savior after they die. The door is simply shut. Do you see the urgency? The clock is ticking. God has chosen us to deliver the life-saving message of the gospel. Now, let me switch gears. Christians, Christians... You go ahead and start praying right now. You know what I mean. So go ahead and pray. You don't even have to close your eyes. If you are not a Christ follower, if you're not a Christian, look up here. Lock eyes with me. What we study today is heavy duty stuff. But it is real. It is the future. Now, I get it. There are people in the world that say, I- I'm a hater that this is just all a bunch of junk. But at least hear me out. The Bible tells us that we come into this world spiritually dead in our sin. Guilty. Cut off from God. You don't need me to tell you that. You already know it, don't you? We are all sinful. We can't help but sin. And yet we know what is right in our hearts, don't we? The Bible says that we have sinned. We have missed the mark. It says we have fallen short of the glory of God. And it's that sin that has its hold on us. Sin, in its most basic meaning, puts us as enemies, combatants with God enemies of God. But God in his love sends his son Jesus into the world who truly is God, yet is born truly a man, meaning a human. Jesus lives this perfect life for 33 years without sin in any way. Jesus suffers this tremendously, uh, this tremendous death, even before he's crucified, he suffers. He dies on a Roman cross. He's nailed to it. He takes the sin of all those who would believe and trust him as their Savior and Lord. What happens is the death of Jesus pays the debt of sin believers owe to God the Father. And on top of that, Jesus gives his righteousness, he applies it to them. So what happens is believers in Jesus get what Jesus deserved as the perfect son of God. And Jesus Got what believers deserve, which is punishment, suffering, and death. He takes the wrath of God and gives believers in Jesus the ability then to become children of God. They are adopted in faith. Now, here's the deal. If you believe this, that is not you figuring that out. It's not me because I'm such a good preacher. Listen to me. It is God himself calling you to life by the power of his spirit. You are recognizing it for sure. So what I'm saying is this, if this reality of Jesus being who he claims to be as Christ and you believe that now, now convert. Simply give the reins of your life, the steering wheel of your life over to Jesus. We call that repentance. And your life will be that from now on. Turning from the old way of following our sinful desires of our bodies and instead following Jesus Christ as Lord. Or you could say it this way. Repenting and turning to Jesus isn't the thing that saves you. It is the thing you do because you have been saved. You with me? One of the very first things you do as believers is to be baptized publicly to be put under the water as a symbol of our old sinful life being buried with Christ in the grave and our new forgiven, redeemed life being raised out of the water a new creature. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, We thank you for this chance to to be together as believers. God, you have called people to yourself. Help them to recognize that and convert to receive you to give over the reins of their life to you, God. God, I pray for believers right now that, that haven't been baptized. You've saved them. Help them to be able to To be brave and say, I stand with Jesus. Let me show the world that I am a follower of you, Jesus. God, give us as a church the ability to grow people in you, to disciple them in you. We trust you. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Bent Tree Church. To get connected at Bentry and for more information, please visit BentTreeChurch.com.